0: and welcome to Manufacturing the Future. Today, we'll be discussing a vital aspect of manufacturing engineering, and that's controlling the environment within your products and in the containers in which they're stored and shipped. Joining me is Jim McCory, Director of Business Development at AGM Container Controls Incorporated. Jim, for many of us in manufacturing, a controlled environment can mean anything from a coating of grease to a desiccant bag like in a bottle of vitamins. Now, many industries need more control, a lot more. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I think we uh, need to think in terms of why a producer or manufacturer would seal their equipment or put their product in a sealed package or a sealed container. And the reason is, is they're trying to protect those products from the types of environments they might see during shipping, during handling, during storage, and in some cases, in use. They're trying to protect the products from shock and vibration from possible exposure to particulate matter. And most importantly, and probably more frequently, they're trying to protect products from moisture. We'll get into this, I'm sure, in more detail as we go on, but I just want to get it out there out front that no matter how well you seal your equipment, no matter how well you seal your package, no matter how well you seal your container, moisture is going to get inside. So you need to prepare and plan for that when you're designing your equipment and your packaging. We speak frequently with our customers about hygroscopic materials. So a hygroscopic material is a material that can absorb water vapor. So uh, moisture, water in a, in a gaseous state. And I think most people would recognize that organic m- materials are hygroscopic. So um, agricultural products, produce, um, v- fruits, vegetables, plants, human beings, we're hygroscopic, we're able to absorb water vapor through our skin. I think it's less known that many inorganic materials are also hygroscopic. So essentially, if it's not glass or it's not metal, it's likely to be hygroscopic. So all manner of plastics, seals, gasketing material, foams, corrugate, all these materials are capable of absorbing water vapor, usually with detrimental effects. So if you're gonna seal your package, you're gonna seal your equipment, you have to make sure you include a moisture absorber, a desiccant, to deal with that moisture.
0: funny you mention it. I mean, in, uh, in the automotive industry where I come from, uh, we use a lot of, of nylon, nylon six, nylon six, six. And it's remarkable, uh, you can do a nylon O-ring seal. That thing will absorb moisture and it will swell. And it will it will dimensionally distort at this point. But it, it's it's difficult in many cases to control that because you, you can't really control your environment necessarily during the manufacturing environment. But then you're gonna put that thing maybe in a Gaylord or maybe in a, in a craft paper shipping cart and then ship the thing across a continent. And it's difficult to know in the back of that truck exactly what kind of environment you know that is in. You mentioned about the when controlling environment, there's a concept of absorbing something and adsorbing something. I understand that that's a critical distinction that you need to make when you're thinking about this problem. Can, can you tell me what that, th- th- those things mean? So I think people are more familiar with absorb, with a B, absorption,
1: that's what a sponge does. So if you put a dry sponge in water, it'll suck up that liquid water and, and it'll, it will actually swell up as well, so its form factor changes. Adsorption, with a D, is how uh, desiccants work. So silica gels, activated uh, clay, molecular sieve, they come in granular and, and beaded form, and they have a pore structure that will adsorb water, again, in a gaseous state. So it's water vapor. So they take on that water vapor in their pore structure, and they hang on to it, but unlike a sponge, it doesn't change the form factor of the desiccant. The desiccant remains in the same same-size envelope. But what it does do is it takes on weight. And that's how you know that a desiccant is, is working as is, is it takes on weight. When we talk about most common desiccants used in packaging, silica gel molecular sieve, they will absorb anywhere, adsorb anywhere from 18 to 30% of their weight in moisture. Um, There are some higher uh, absorption type desiccants like calcium chloride that are used primarily in tractor-trailers transportation for agricultural products or ocean-going containers. Uh, The calcium chloride will absorb uh, 150 to 200 percent of its weight in in, uh, moisture, and they're primarily designed to prevent condensation inside these tractor-trailers and and inside these ocean-going containers. I mean, if you think about an ocean-going container and the amount of moisture that they're exposed to. And and those ISO containers are not typically sealed very well. They can take on so much moisture that under certain temperature swings, it it will create a phenomenon called container rain, where it will literally rain inside the container. So you can imagine how damaging that would be to the contents. So calcium chloride is very effective with preventing that type of condensation. With silica gel and, and molecular sieve, it's more about um, uh, creating much drier environments inside smaller sealed uh, uh, containers. And, um, you know, it'll hang on to that water vapor until it's exposed to elevated temperatures. Um, and that's what another factor that uh, when you're designing your equipment or your packaging, you need to f- consider the type of temperatures the equipment will be exposed to and select the right desiccant because uh, silica gel will give up its uh, moisture
0: at a, a, a lower elevated temperature temperature than, say, a molecular sieve. Uh, you mentioned a couple of different possible technologies there. It's it's from the, from a manufacturer's perspective, of course, we would typically call say uh, a packaging company, and they would say, uh, yeah, we'll send you some silica gel packs, and then we get we you know throw one in each carton. You throw something in the back, but it's uh, in many cases from an engineering perspective, we'd ask ourselves, well, uh, is is, is chemical reactivity a factor here? Is there something about the about the product we use to absorb that moisture? Is, is that going to create something in the environment that we need to worry about in terms of the product? Are these things truly inert in every packaging situation, or should we think about the type of material we use?
1: Well, I think you need to think about it. Uh, molecular sieves are actually used for capturing other types of chemicals or things other than moisture. Um, as far as outgassing, uh, with molecular sieve, we're aware of certain situations where it will outgas nitrogen. Um, so if you airship uh, something with molecular sieve in it, sometimes it will swell up the container uh, that it's uh, contained in. Um, but for the most part, Silica gels and molecular sieve are, are basically basically inert. It's really more an issue of how dry you wanna get and, and how uh, uh, the type of environment that it's gonna be exposed exposed to in terms of what uh, desiccant you might select. You mentioned throwing a bag of desiccant in a, a cardboard box. That's kind of a waste of time because the cardboard box is so hygroscopic that, that it's gonna suck in moisture and that desiccant's gonna expire pretty quickly. Uh, normally, what you would do is put that uh, uh, put your product
0: in a sealed bag, sealed barrier bag with a, a desiccant, right, and then then put it in the corrugate. Jim, that's an interesting point. I know that many manufacturers are trying to become more environmentally friendly these days, and and in some cases, I've seen a move away from from polymers to things like craft paper again. You know, wrap a sensitive component in paper and then pack that in something. Uh, is is that going to be a factor? As you mentioned, is if, if is that paper going to be a change I mean a bubble wrap is a, 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 a common way to protect things uh, vacuum even vacuum packing or bagging these things another way but it's do you have to think about about how you protect the product as well as how you package it in these cases
1: well you do and and again you need to consider the moisture inherent in those packaging materials so um, you know that like you said the foam the paper they're all going to contain some amount of moisture so uh, you have to consider what your, your what what uh, how much desiccant you're going to need to protect that product um, um, from the moisture that's going to be inherent in those materials, as well as the moisture that might uh, find its way into the packaging.
0: It's, us uh, we think about about products or protecting against moisture that's in the ambient air or around the product when it ships. Are there products out there where they themselves generate moisture or they release something in, in the process? I'm thinking of perhaps uh, uh, if you're shipping something by an air freight environment. Where the uh, you got a you got a pressure loss as you climb at that point, it gets outgassing for the product. Is that, are those things a factor for some industries?
1: Well, I mean, if you're talking about air transport, um, um, anything that's sealed and you take up in the air, it's going to build pressure inside on ascent, and then uh, on on um, descent, it's going to pull a vacuum. So, in situations like that, certainly like say with military shipping containers or even commercial shipping containers or electro-optics that are mounted on uh, aircraft, you not only need desiccant, you need breather valves to relieve pressure and vacuum to compensate for those those pressure and vacuum differentials. I mean, if you think about taking a a plastic water bottle on on an airplane, on a passenger plane. It's not as noticeable when you ascent, but there's actually a, a pressure buildup in that bottle. But when you come down and you're on that tarmac, and if that cap was on there very tightly and there was enough air space in that bottle, it will have collapsed upon itself because it drew a vacuum on descent. So... You open up that um, cap and that air is going to rush back in to fill that vacuum and, and, yeah. and, the, and the bottle swells back out again. So the same kind of phenomenon uh, happens with any sealed thing that gets that gets uh, air transported. So we, we refer to them as controlled breathing systems. So you have a valve that allows air to be burped in and out to compensate for those pressure and vacuum differentials. Uh, but then, when that air uh, valve is breathing in, you have to be conscious of the fact that it may be bringing in moisture. So you need some form of uh, some form of desiccant to absorb that moisture. And then the third element is a humidity indicator, whether it be a humidity indicator sensor or some of these simple color change indicator papers, um, to tell you when that desiccant has has saturated and needs to be replaced. So so those three elements: valves, desiccant humidity indication or what we refer to as a controlled breathing system.
0: Uh, Jim, most manufactured products are made under a relatively controlled environment. Uh, frequently not humidity controlled for most products, some sensitive things are, but, but certainly temperature controlled within limits. However, uh, when you put it in the back of a truck or or, or or ship it by any means at that point, you lose your ability to control that temperature is uh, do, do, do manufacturers to shippers think enough about the influence of that temperature change in things like like moisture or a de- development of moisture on the product? I know that in some cases, especially in some winter months in the, here in the Northeast, uh, if you build, you make something in a warm environment, put it in a box, throw it in the back of a truck, basically, you could send, be sending that thing out into 35, 40 degree temperatures. And I've got to assume that the condensation is going to be a factor with that temperature shift.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know what we were talking about there really is is dew point temperature, right? So many customers come to us wanting to talk about relative humidity, maintaining a certain relative humidity in a package, whereas that's only really half the story. Relative humidity plus temperature equals dew point temperature, and that's the temperature at which uh, water vapor will condense into liquid water. So you definitely need to consider that um, in your package design and when considering what kind of environment it's going to be in. So I mean, if you think about, say, a a sophisticated piece of electro-optical equipment, um, unlike commercial retail packaging, um, they're looking to get super dry levels inside that electro-optical enclosure because this camera could be mounted to an aircraft that's going to fly at 40,000 feet and see temperatures in the negative 40, negative 50 degrees C. So they need to make an environment inside that uh, system, that equipment, that is that dry, right? Um, like minus 30, minus 40 degrees C dew point, minus 50, so that when it sees that temperature, condensation doesn't occur um, and cause those lenses to fog up, just like the lenses on your glasses when you open up the, the dishwasher, right? It, it steam, the, the hot steam hits and, you, and it fogs over and you can't see, so the camera becomes essentially useless. So it's quite often in those industries that they're using on top of desiccant, desiccant's not enough, they have to use a dry gas purge process to, typically nitrogen, to flood that cavity, uh, electro-optical cavity before it's sealed and sent out into into the environment. And, you know, we talked about hygroscopic materials earlier. In our experience, hygroscopic materials can hold anywhere from 10 to 100 times the moisture of an equivalent free air volume. So when you start pulling the moisture out of that um, free air volume in the optics, all those hygroscopic materials, those PC boards, the wiring, the plastics, they're gonna give up that moisture to that airspace to create water vapor equilibrium. And there's this common misconception that if you leave that equipment under pressure with that dry gas, that that's gonna prevent moisture from, from getting inside and that's just not correct. Um, if it's wet on the outside, dry on the inside, that moisture is going to find a way into your system, into your equipment, typically through the seals and gaskets. They permeate through the seals and gaskets and get inside because they want it. They want to again create that water vapor equilibrium. And um, you know, an example I guess I would give that somebody can relate to is 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 air pressure. If you think about your bicycle tire or your automobile tire, uh, you fill it up to a, sp- a specific pressure. And, you know, in a car, in the sake of a car, maybe weeks later, the pressure decreases. With a bicycle tire, it can be just days. And it's not because there's an inherent or gross leak there. It's that high concentration of air molecules molecules inside the tire wanting to to equalize with the lower concentration of air molecules on the outside. So that air... Those air molecules find a way to permeate through something that you would think was impermeable, which is the you know the solid rubber tire.
0: When I think of of old school hammer and tongs kind of manufacturing, the world I come from, metal stampings, you know, bolted assemblies, this kind of thing, uh, it's we typically um, shipped in bulk in, in things like Gaylords. So you're looking at something that's four by four by by a four foot cube. Um, so they're essentially scramble packed, not individually packed. And uh, our assumption years ago basically was if we want to control corrosion on that long truck ride to, to Detroit, um, we coat everything in oil. We're using a mineral-based oil as a process aid anyway. We miss some of the stuff on the thing, and, and that should do it. We're just going to create an oily barrier between the atmosphere and the product down there. I can tell you that is a very inconsistent way of protecting something down there. Do you still see that, or is still? can you still go with a barrier coating as opposed to a desiccant solution for, for, for products like that? I
1: mean, if it's a if it's a completely metal part, um, you know, that could work in certain situations. There's also vapor uh, phase corrosion inhibitor products that come in a number of different form factors. There's films, there's sprays, there's emitters, and how these operate is is they they don't eliminate the moisture, they just, uh, um, they prevent water from bonding to metal, right? but they only work with metal products, not uh, any, any other types of, it doesn't work on plastics or, or wiring or that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, it depends on the situation, but um, it's, it's certainly
0: a, um, a low cost rudimentary approach. You mentioned, you touched briefly on pressure. You talked about about air freight, but even just just pressure changes that in, in service or for other reasons. I mean, you can, you can drive a truck through uh, the Donner Pass and see significant change in pressure. Now, we've all seen that bag of Cheetos on the airplane that blows up like a balloon when, uh, uh, because, because of that pressure differential. Tell me about pressure. Uh, are there industries out there where that matters enough that you've actually got to monitor that or, or control that very carefully during the transshipment process or storage?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, I mentioned breather valves earlier. Those are commonly used by uh, manufacturers that are using you know, sealed shipping containers. Usually with a, a, a flexible barrier, uh, they tend to use uh, what we would call a membrane style breather, like a Gore style vent. So it allows uh, pressure to uh, get out and, and, and in, right? It allows the package to breathe, but the membrane um, prevents uh, liquid water intrusion. However, those membrane style vents will allow water vapor to transmit both in and out of the package, so you have to be aware of that when you're using it. But yeah, valves are used quite frequently in, in uh, transporting of materials to protect the integrity of the uh, in container and the, and the contents. Um, I mean, another thing that, that happens in air transport is uh, rapid decompression events where you're at cruising altitude and there's a sudden loss in cabin pressure. Um, So these sealed containers suddenly want to expel a huge amount, a huge volume of air in a very short period of time. And if they don't, you know, worst case scenario, they could become an explosive device, right? They blow up uh, and on the, at the very least, uh, they could uh, um, have damaged their seals, uh, gaskets, and perhaps the contents uh, inside the container. So there are products to address that as well. Uh, um, high flow, ultra high flow breather valves, uh, burst discs that just blow open to allow that air to escape. And the interesting thing about rapid decompression events, I think most people think, well, that hardly ever happens, right? I mean, because if that happened, you know, there'd be loss of aircraft, loss of life, that kind of thing. But actually, it happens more frequently than you would think. Uh, There was an Australian study, I think, that was done over about a 25-30 year period that noted over 500 rapid decompression events in aircraft with only a couple that resulted in catastrophe where where there was loss of aircraft and life. Typically, it's something like a a door wasn't sealed properly, um, a valve wasn't closed, perhaps a window does blow out. But in most cases, the the pilots can respond uh, quick enough to get the aircraft down to 10,000 feet to, to stabilize things.
0: We assume that that decompression is something, that, as you say, that happens slowly and progressively, that it's if you're using well, I think of as a conventional pressure relief valve. If you're basically r- relieving pressure to ambient at this point, uh, you've got the rate of pressure decrease to think about, but then you're going to repressurize when you come back down to altitude at the same point. Do you necessarily want to let that air back into the package? I mean, do you control the rate at which it comes back in? How sophisticated are this, is the pressure control in this valving you're talking about? It sounds like a complex process.
1: Well, under normal air transportation conditions, these valves, they're actually quite simple. They're just spring actuated uh, poppet valves that that work in both directions. So on ascent, they're able to burp air out to relieve that uh, additional pressure. On descent, they're able to uh, suck some air in to compensate for the vacuum differential. But you absolutely want, you you know, it's kind of like a yin and yang thing, right? You're letting it breathe in and potentially bringing in moisture, but at the same time, if you don't, that container is going to pull a vacuum and p- perhaps collapse on itself, like, oil, like referred to as oil canning. I mean, you know, back in the day, back in the 50s, the DoD, uh, the Department of Defense, when they uh, designed a, a, a shipping container, it was usually these very large, expensive steel cylindrical uh, uh, containers with reinforced ribbing. Um, And it was designed specifically so that they could withstand the rigors of of air transport. So it was actually the advent of of low-cost pressure relief valves uh, back in the 1960s or 70s that allowed the DOD to go to uh, less expensive uh, constructed containers, and and also lighter weight, which saved them, you know, a boatload of money in in transportation costs. But they're able to go to fiberglass materials or double wall aluminum extruded uh, containers. So, so the valves, uh, uh, you know, there is the downside of the the moisture intrusion, but in the long run, it's really
0: uh, has really benefited the uh, packaging and and handling world. Uh, Jim, you mentioned defense applications. That sounds like some of the most challenging stuff imaginable. I mean, a, uh, 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 sidewinder missiles uh, will fit in the back of a minivan, but the thing is also very expensive. and something you really, you really need to protect. And of course, we know the military tend to ship things in, in containers that we would regard as not a shipping container so much, but really as systems themselves. Uh, some of these things are, are put into a container and they're left there for a considerable period of time before they're used. Is there a difference in how you approach that problem between something that you expect to be opened at the other end of the, the flight and something which may go into a warehouse and stay there for five years? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, uh, the Department of Defense and the aerospace and defense industries uh, face some unique challenges. If you think about consumer, commercial, industrial uh, pro- product, product or production to consumption cycle is relatively short. The product is produced, it's shipped, it's consumed uh, rather quickly, or or after a brief period of storage. But as you mentioned, uh, the aerospace and defense world, DOD world. Uh, they need design containers and equipment that can sometimes be in storage up to 20 years, uh, especially in the case of, of missiles. Uh, so, yeah, so it, it creates some complex uh, um, uh, analysis. You know, how much moisture is inherent in the uh, equipment itself? We talked again about the hygroscopic materials. What is the water vapor transmission rates of the seals and gaskets of the equipment and the container itself? What type of environments will it will it see in the shipping and storage, you know, how much water vapor uh, can we anticipate is going to permeate into those enclosures. So, yes, it requires quite a bit more thought and planning uh, for for uh, uh, defense, aerospace and defense packaging as compared to, uh, you know, the commercial world.
0: Uh, Jim, a lot of these, um, a lot of these things. You mentioned missiles as an example. There, uh, these are things where you don't necessarily want to open the packaging to peek inside and see how things are, how, how things are. Uh, how can you monitor you, the 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 product to make sure that the integrity is still there without actually breaking the seal?
1: Well, um, the, a lot of the sophisticated unit or missiles, anyway, um, that the government has has manufactured actually do have internal sensors that will monitor humidity and uh, temperature. But on the containers themselves, it's quite quite common that you'll see a humidity indicator. We, we call them humidity indicator plugs. So they're aluminum housings, they panel mount to the container, and inside the uh, 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 or behind a polycarbonate window, there's a color change humidity indicator card. You've probably seen them in in, uh, in electronics packaging. They go from blue to pink as the relative humidity rises. So they're not really designed to be a very precise level of humidity, they're just basically there to tell you, hey, your desiccant starting to saturate, you need to replace it. So, so you can view that humidity in indicator externally, and typically on these containers, they also have desiccant ports or baskets that are behind a, uh, a, a quarter-turn uh, cover assembly, so you can open And get access to that desiccant and replace it again without having to open the container. Because some of those uh, military containers, in particular, are very, the the process of opening them can be rather time consuming as well, as well as the exposure you put to the contents by opening it up.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting market to me. Um, You've got a situation where you have the contents that can be simultaneously uh, delicate, potentially dangerous, uh, contain classified product inside, but at the same time, it's packaged in, in, in packages which are going to be potentially roughly handled, handled in a hurry. Uh, trans shipped by multiple modes of transport, anything from the back of a Humvee V to a C130, essentially, and then potentially thrown into a warehouse and stored for years all at the same time. These are sort of conflicting requirements in a way, in a sense. You want something which can be handled like a, like a crate of oranges, but inside contains something which is like a Swiss watch in terms of how delicate it is. So the, uh, packaging these things, obviously that, that's, that's a high tech sort of business in itself. When those engineers are designing those containers to do this, is that how early in this system are they thinking about that environment and, and, and what do they do about that? Do they approach folks like you early in that design phase and say, listen, you know, here are my humidity limits or pressure limits? I mean, how early should they approach you?
1: Well, I think the actual container manufacturers are, are, are all over it. That's all pre-thought out. It's pretty basic uh, uh, hardware on, on military shipping containers. But I can say that, that the, uh, the designers of the equipment itself, the, the electro-optical systems, the missiles, quite often they don't think about keeping it dry until the very end. So they've designed this very sophisticated uh, piece of equipment, they've you know, jam-packed it with all kinds of you know, PC boards, optics, wiring. And then at the end they say, oh, how are we gonna keep this dry? So yes, they come to us and typically those, those envelopes that are available to us are very convoluted, kind of complex, which requires, you know, custom machining of housings and covers or perhaps even injection molding to accommodate the available space. Uh, quite often we're challenged with getting enough desiccant uh, that, that they require into the available space. Um, um, so, it becomes complex geometry with very specific types of desiccant and also very specific types of filtration which allow the water vapor to get into the desiccant but also contain the desiccant and don't let it allow it to dust into that very sensitive environment. So, yeah, you know, we tell customers all the time, if you want to save money on a moisture control solution, think about it early on in the design process because if you wait to the end, you're going to become into this scenario I just described, or it just creates a lot of design challenges for that
0: desiccator. Jim, one last question. How it's for an engineer and product development process, they're thinking about the, the containers, they're thinking about, about, about shipping, packaging, thinking about, about control of this environment. What, How can they approach this smartly? What are the kinds of questions they should have ready when they approach folks like you and say, um, I, I don't even know if I have a problem here. Help me solve this.
1: Several factors need to be considered. Again, how much moisture is inherent in the system to begin with? Um, How long does this system need to be protected? What type of environments will that system see during its transport, during its storage, during its potential use? Um, You know, what type, again, what type of temperatures it might see is actually going to drive, what type of desiccant might be prescribed? And um, you know the water vapor transmission rates of the of the gasketing material that's sealing the equipment and sealing the container. These are all things that need to be answered uh, in order to prescribe, basically, to prescribe a desiccant load. How much desiccant do I need, and where am I going to put it? Um, I mean, our company has a program that will do that. Right? You put in enough data uh, about the materials being used and the the permeation of the gasketing materials and you know WVTRs and environment and length of time, and it'll spit out a desiccant prescription uh, based on that information. So the more information we have,
0: the more accurate uh, desiccant prescription we can offer. Jim McCory, AGM Container Controls, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jim. And thank you everyone for watching. See you again next time on Manufacturing the Future.